smooth and to sit down and talk about the Bible with people and to study and to learn. And, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that, uh, well, we have questions in life. All of us have questions. And, it, and it's become a trite phrase, uh, at least in the minds of some, that Jesus is the answer. But it really isn't trite. I mean, that really is the truth. Jesus is the answer. And all of life's problems that we have, the things, the difficulties that we face, whether it's, you know, I don't know, loneliness, uh, whether it's uh, fear, whether it's guilt, whether it's sin, you know, you name it, the answer really is in the Word of God. And it's great to be able to open the Bible and have this question that, you know, is really on your mind and burning within you, and then to find it's answered right here. It says it. On, in, in Luke chapter 24, when Jesus was on that road to Emmaus and, and he uh, you know, hid himself uh, so that the guys could not understand or see who he was, I don't know exactly how that worked, but they did not recognize him to be the risen Savior. And those two disciples were walking along the way and they were talking about Jesus among themselves. And they said, you know, man, we are so, we're beside ourselves. We're clueless. We're baffled. We are, are so astonished because we thought he was the Christ, but then he was crucified. And, and so that kind of dashed our hopes. But then now today, I mean, this morning, we have had some people come. Some of the disciples have come and said the tomb was empty and they saw an angel and he said that Jesus is risen. And we don't know what in the world to think. You know, so here they've got an issue. And you know what Jesus said to them? He, he took them to Moses and the prophets and he began to preach to them about himself and how the, the scriptures might be fulfilled. Their perplexed, uh, perplexed state, it, it was answered from the scriptures. And so that's what I want us to do tonight. I want us to look at this passage because I believe this passage answers a very relevant question that we could ask. And here's the question. Why should I serve Jesus why should I be a moral person? Why should I say no to all the things that all my friends are doing out there that are fun, but they're off limits to those who claim to be followers of Christ? Why should I deny self, take up a cross, and follow Him? That's a fair question. And, and you know, we face every day, we face decisions. What, which direction am I going to go? Am I going to do this, or am I going to do this? And and sometimes we need pushed and prodded and reminded to do the right thing. Have you ever known the right thing to do, but you just needed someone to say, yeah, you know that's what you need to do. And, and it's that extra encouragement that causes you to do the right thing. Well, tonight I want to share with you some extra encouragement from the Word of God that will cause you or hopefully help you, motivate you, to do the right thing, to live your life for Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, we know there's just two ways. There's a broad way that leads to destruction. Many go in there at. And there's a, there's a straight, uh, a narrow, a constricted way that leads to life. And he says, there's just a few that are going to choose that. Um, and the reason is because it's difficult. It's hard. And what God calls us to do is not 
easy. It's not easy to say no to yourself, but it's worthwhile. And I want to give you motive to say no to yourself, to deny your own self and to live for someone else. And here it is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1. I want to share with you four reasons that the text gives us why I should be a faithful Christian uh, living a high moral life and living for Jesus and denying self and following him. Let's start in verse 1 and we'll see the very first reason. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us, In the flesh, arm yourselves also with this same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Reason number one, motive number one, why should I follow Jesus? Why should I live to a high standard of morality? Because Jesus died for you. That's a reason. The death of Jesus is not impersonal. Oh, I know it happened 2,000 years ago, but it is as personal as it gets because he came to save you. If you were the only person, God has enough vested interest in you that Jesus would have come and, and died for you. He loved and gave him his son for the whole world, Roman, or John chapter 3 and verse 16 says. And First John chapter 4 and verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. We talked about last week how that before there was, you know, sin, there was grace, a Savior. Before there was guilt, there was grace. Before there was a hell, there was a heaven. Uh, we talked about all those things last week. God loved us, prepared for us a a better way. I I don't know, there probably aren't very, you know, what would it be like to be responsible for another person's death? I mean, you're the guilty party. Um, That would weigh heavily upon us. And that's precisely what has happened here. We're responsible for the death of Jesus. He died on the cross so that I could attain to the righteousness of God in him. And so Peter says, you know, if you want a good motive, if you want a reason why you ought to follow Jesus, well, let's just start right here. He died for you. How do you repay a person? If someone here died so that they, my child or one of my children or my wife could live or myself, can you not understand, if it were you and your family, if someone gave their life to push your child out of the way and they were killed instead of your child, would you not feel a sense of indebtedness to that person? You would not lightly turn your back and ignore that person. I mean, that, you would see to it probably for the rest of your life that if you ever heard of a need in that family, man, you're Johnny on the spot. Because of what they did for you. Peter starts, I believe, with the highest motive. How can you not serve Jesus when he gave his life for you? So that's motive number one. But we have three more in this short section, the first five verses. Look at verse two with me and verse three. He says, And that no longer should live in the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime 
doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness and lusts and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. There, he gives us a second reason. Did you see it? Basically, here's what he said. Number one, Jesus died for you. You owe him. Number two, you've spent enough time in sin. You've wasted enough of your life. You've, you've gone and lived in rebellion and done your own thing long enough. It's time to turn your back on that and live for Jesus. Give up the drinking and the alcohol and the drunken parties and give up all this kind of stuff and start living for Jesus. Haven't you lived long enough like the world? It's a good question. I, I've never met someone near the end of their life and I've gone to a lot of hospitals and sat with a lot of people as they uh, are nearing the end of their time, and they know they are. I have yet to hear a person say, I wish I wouldn't have given my life to God so early. I, I wish I would have kept more time for myself and come to Jesus later in life. I have never heard anyone say that. I have heard many regrets through tearful eyes say, I wish I would have given my life earlier to Jesus. For what after all that he's done for me and what is in store for me, I, I, I feel so inadequate and I wish that I would not have wasted so much time. I've heard that a lot. We can never repay God. We can never, you know, do an even swap. Well, since you've done this, I'll do this. You know, that, it doesn't work that way. But we do need to understand our indebtedness. We have wasted more than enough time on sin. Some of us longer than others. But aren't you thankful that we have a God who will take us? What, you live in rebellion for... 40 years, and you decide to come to Christ, and He takes you? Aren't you glad you serve a God like that? You live a life 60 years living in the world, and you come to Jesus, and He'll take you? Man, we are so blessed to have a God like that. And I want us to understand, that's, not, that's the way to live a life that has some regrets. It's not the model, but thank God that He's willing to forgive. I... I, I was teaching a Bible class one time, and I may have told you this, but there was a lady there. Her husband had come to Christ. He had cancer and he was dying. And, I, you know, I've heard people throw off on, you know, those, oh, they get sick and they come to Jesus, you know, and, and I, yeah, I, under, I know how that works. Well, listen, sometimes staring death in the face is what motivates people to change, truly change. When you come to grips with your own mortality and realize what life is really about, it's sometimes death causes people to truly have a change of heart. I mean, there are a lot of motives that God uses to change people's lives. Maybe it's having children. Uh, the only re Do you hear anybody going around saying, well, the only reason they obey the gospel is because they have kids and they want to set a good example. They're not really sincere. We don't do that to any any other motive, but we do when it comes to end-of-life issues. And I was in a Bible class, and I was teaching, and this woman had lost a husband to cancer, and he had just been baptized weeks before his death. 
And another lady in the Bible class raised her hand and said, I don't think it's right that a person live their whole life in sin and come down to the very end and obey the gospel. I don't think that's fair. I couldn't believe she said it in view of what had just transpired in that congregation. And I told the lady, you know, you're right, it's, it's not fair. But it's gracious. And that's what we all need. I don't ever want to be in the, the shoes of the person who has issues with God's grace. Jonah, I don't like the picture that is portrayed of Jonah in the Old Testament. He goes and he preaches to Nineveh. He doesn't want to go in the first place because he knows they'll repent and that God will be gracious and forgive them. And so he throws a pout. He runs the wrong way. And even when he does and goes and does what God wants him to do, you know, he throws a pout after everybody repents. How terrible that he would begrudge the grace of God. Matthew chapter 20. You have these men that are in the marketplace and they're, they're idle and they don't have anything to do. And so God, uh, the, the servant is hired out in the morning and he works all day for an agreed amount, a penny. And, and then he goes out at noon and he gets some more people and they work till the end of the day and they had an agreed amount, a penny. And then he goes out at five o'clock in the afternoon and he, got, and he gets some more people and he hires them to work just one hour and he promises them a penny too. And you know what? The, the ones that had worked all day are mad. Why? Not because they had been mistreated. They made an agreement, and it was fair. And that was the price that was, it was worthy of the job. They weren't mad because they were mistreated or cheated. They were begrudging the grace of God given to somebody else. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to regret and, and begrudge God's grace given to others. We, we need to be thankful that God is gracious. And if you came to Christ in your youth, you, you have fewer regrets as you come to the end of your life. If you come to Christ in the latter or waning years of your life, I'm sure it's a burden to bear to say, you know, I should have done this sooner. No telling how much more good could have been accomplished if I would have thrown all my weight in service to the kingdom uh, and the king. But be thankful that he forgives you. Peter says, number one, serve Jesus because he died for you. Serve him because you've spent enough time in sin. Give it up and start living for something better. And then here's the third reason. Look at verse 4. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. You see, because you're no longer going to the drinking parties and hanging out and doing all this stuff, he said, all those people that you used to hang out with, they think you're different. They think you're strange. Because you won't go drinking with them. You won't go partying with them. You won't do the things you used to do. And, and, and the point is this. You have an influence. You want another reason why you ought to do right? Because you influence other people. You either influence them to, to be a better person or a worse person. 
You'll either influence a person to help them on their way to heaven, or you'll be a stumbling block that will keep them from heaven. Peter reminds us of that. Jesus died for you. You've spent enough time in sin, and you have influence on people. Matthew chapter 5 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and, and glorify your Father who's in heaven. That's the way we should live our lives. Be a light. Show the world how to follow Jesus. And if we're not that light, then we're contributing to the darkness. I want it to be said of me, and I hope that when the end of time comes, then when we stand before the judge, and I don't know how it all comes down and so forth, but if we had these discussions at the throne of God, I would hope that someone would say, one of the reasons I'm here is because of Him. Wouldn't you want someone to say that of you? One of the reasons I'm here today is because of sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so. They, they helped me. They lived it. They showed me what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple. And that's what we need to do. And if we're not doing that, there will be people at the judgment who will probably be able to point a finger at us and say, the reason I don't get to come in is because of him or her and the way they lived. You are an example. So keep that in mind. And then the fourth thing comes to us from verse 5. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. There's a judgment. You want to know why you ought to be a faithful follower of Jesus, why you ought to live to a high standard of morality, because someday there's a judgment. All those people that you used to go running with and partying with, and now you don't do it anymore, and you're trying to get that right, and you're trying to set the right kind of example, just remember, someday those guys that are your friends are going to have to face God, and they'll be judged. There is an eternity. Do you want people that you know and love and have rubbed shoulders with all your life, do you want them to go to hell? Do you want them to stand before God someday? Can you imagine what a horrifying scene that would be to have to stand before God unprepared and to hear Him say, depart from me? I never knew you. You worker of lawlessness. Get out of my sight. And then have angels cast them into the lake of fire. It's nothing I want to experience. We probably know of people who have touched our lives and we've been close to, and they never would submit their life to Jesus, and they die outside of Christ, and they die outside of hope. And boy, that, that is disturbing. But what can we do for those who are still around? We can follow Jesus. We can show them the way and hopefully warn them of that judgment to come. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says, It's appointed unto a man once to die, and, and then after that comes the judgment. And uh, we're all going to have to face that. And it, it's real. It's not pretend. It's not pie-in-the-sky kind of talk. It, it's not some scary story that someone invented to kind of snap people into shape. 
You know, we're losing control here. People are doing too many things we don't want them to do. So let's, let's invent this story about hell. And, and let's scare the living daylights out of them so they'll do the right thing. That's not what hell is. It's real. There's really a judgment. And if you put any validity to the person of Jesus Christ, you have to give as much validity to this place called hell and the judgment of Jesus Christ. He spoke of it more than anyone else in the Bible. So as I look to 1 Peter chapter 4, and I have this question in my mind, why am I doing this? Why, why do I wake up tomorrow and fight? Why do I resist what takes place at school and, and at the office? And what, what, Why is it that I'm constantly being put on the outside and people are laughing at me? Why do I do that? The Bible has the answer. And if you're reading 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter gives us four really good answers to that question. He starts off again by saying, Jesus died for you. Don't ever forget that. You've spent enough time in sin. You've wasted enough of your life. Give some of it to Jesus. Use some of that influence for good because you do have influence on those who need your help. And, you know, at the end of the day, there's going to be a judgment. And you don't want to stand in that unprepared to meet God. So I want to share with you those four motives today as we go out this week and try to live for Jesus. If you find yourself questioning, why do I do this? Peter has the answer. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, make that decision to serve Him tonight. Don't put off. I I, I just... Someday, there will be a last day, and I've said that a thousand times, but there will be a last day, and there will be people who will have intended to do the right thing, but they put it off. They knew, and they delayed, and now they're lost forever, and no one can change it. If you find yourself knowing to do right tonight, don't delay Obey and live for Him. You've spent enough time in sin. Give the rest of your life to the one who died for you. If you're a child of God and unfaithful and you've made some poor decisions and you're ashamed of them and you want the church to know you've changed and you're sorry and you want strength, we'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing. Jesus, he speaks the drooping heart to cheer, oh, hear the voice of Jesus. Sweetest note in seraph's song, sweetest name on mortal tongue, sweetest carol ever sung, Jesus, blessed Jesus. All glory to the dying Lamb, I now believe in Jesus. I love the blessed Savior's name, I love the name of Jesus.
Sweetest mountain seraph song, sweetest name on mortal tongue, sweetest carol ever sung, Jesus, blessed Jesus.